0: Okay, looks good on this end. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can gather together and open up the Scriptures and encourage one another and seek out the truth of your Word and just explore the glories of our mutual salvation. Thank you, dear Lord, for what you've done for us and thank you for this study of the book of Hebrews. That's such a blessing to us. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. I promised last time that we were going to read two Corinthians four, seventeen through five, eight. So open your Bibles. We'll do this together. And we're stud- we were finishing on verse fourteen. For here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Now sometimes when it talks about this heavenly city, it talks about it in spatial terms, meaning above and beneath, but in this time this time it's in terms of now not yet, now and not yet. so this is a future city, the future promised city uh that God is going to establish so two corinthians four seventeen through five eight when it talks about the temporal and the eternal, this section definitely comes to mind. This is not my normal Bible, so I don't know where anything is in it. There it is. 2 Corinthians 4:17. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. For we, for while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So those are two categories. Yeah, it has hot in here. People walk in the door. Sorry. <laughs> We're just. This is just a tune-up to make us feel a lot better when we go up in the air conditioning and at ten thirty. Okay. These categories are very, very important temporal and eternal and when people start going astray in their understanding of the gospel we tend to take the eternal to be of no consequence and consequence and put everything into the temporal and you see this even in uh the eschatology that people come up with we're going to make the world a better place to live we're going to solve the world's problems we're going to wipe out all these problems, which it never really works because the world keeps getting worse no matter how much effort goes into trying to fix it. And, uh, it says here that this light affliction, momentary light affliction, which we suffer just being in this world, like with all this heat, okay, um, is, uh, temporary and it's, and according to the Bible, and we can't know because we haven't been there, Whatever Paul saw when he was caught up into heaven, he said, it was unlawful for man to utter. But what Paul tells us is as far beyond comparison. So the the infinitely greater eternal future for the people of God. Now, reading on in 2 Corinthians 5, now verse one: For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So this is um, Paul talking about the mortality uh, of this life, the fact that life is temporary, fragile, mortal. Okay? And then it says, for indeed we have a... For indeed in this house, here using it as a metaphor for the body, we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch much as we, having put it on, shall not be found naked. For indeed, while we were in this tent, another metaphor for the body, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed but to be clothed in order that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life now he who prepared us for this very purpose is god who gave us the spirit as a pledge so the pledge or down payment or earnest money that we have that would tell us that we have this eternal home waiting for us is the holy spirit indwelling us so we have this treasure paul said just a little earlier in earth and vessels so then it says here therefore being always of good courage, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, preferring rather to be absent from the body to be home with the Lord. So this is the promise for every believer that we have an eternal home and that is far beyond comparison to what we know here. And you can't make heaven on earth Because it just won't work. The sin nature is endemic. The the sin nature not only is a hindrance to Christians who have redemption, it's hard enough for us to try to overcome sin, is it not? Isn't it a battle? Well, how in the world is the whole world going to overcome sin when most people aren't Christians? Exactly. So this idea that we're going to create paradise on earth is certainly not a biblical idea. We're looking for that eternal home. Uh, that is in the future. And so back in Hebrews we as we said last week in Hebrews 11 it said that the patriarchs were looking for this heavenly city. And so now here it says that we are as well. Now we're on verse 15, uh, 15 and 16 I'll read the two of them and it talks about sacrifice. Let me put this in a little context. We're 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 studying this going outside the camp. Inside the camp that is Israel's old covenant status with their sacrificial system. They had sacrifices. And so these Jewish Christians were thinking, I think, I like that better. I think I, that's tangible. I could go on a day of atonement. I could see the sacrificial animals. I could see the high priest. I could see the temple. All these things are right here and how, and how glorious they are. And everything us Christians have is unseen. We can't see our high priest. We can't see the blood that, that was shed. Uh, we, just come together in spirit, worship God in spirit and truth, but we can't see this system. You have to believe it. And that's why Hebrews says, faith is the evidence of things not seen. So Christians, where is your evidence that you have atonement? I believe that Jesus Christ died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. Well, where is your high priest? He's seated in the heavenlies. Well, what's he? how, how do you have access to him? Through prayer, by faith. That's it. Well, I can go talk to our high priest, your Jewish friend says. So, now, when this next section, the issue is, well, what sort of sacrifices do we bring? We know the old covenant specified sacrifices. You have to bring this, 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 and here's how you bring your sacrifice, and when you bring your sacrifice. So then the question is, well, what about you Christians? What are your sacrifices? Well, here it is. That's the next topic. Through Him, Christ that is, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that gives thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. So the sacrifices that we bring is praise to God, and thanksgiving, which would be correlating to the thank offering in the Old Testament, and as a community, there's a couple of interesting Greek words here, but as a community, we care for one another, we do good, and we share a common life together. And that's what a valid Christian community looks like. People are really there for one another. We praise God together, and we take care of each other. That's the Christian sacrifice. It's not buying payment for anything. We're not, we're, the sins have already been paid for once for all. But this is uh, what we bring as a thanksgiving for what God did for us. So we have here sharing and praising God. Now it says here through Him. So we have a high priest in heaven, and so the way our sacrifices are acceptable to God is that we bring them through Christ, the high priest, through his mediation. He's paid the penalty. So what we do is praise God for the atonement we've already had. Only through the blood atonement can our praise be acceptable to God. Which is uh, back on this topic I was mentioning before we started recording here. Um, that's why there's so much redefinition going on. The, the When the church becomes a community, meeting. Oh, did I read an interesting article this last week? From somebody sent me a link. It was a year old article, but it was about this a guy who went into the fastest growing city in Arizona and built a church from scratch to like 5,000 people in just a few years. And interesting article. Uh, it, it, it says it, the, it was from the uh, New York Times or something like that. But this, this, what it was is this. This pastor, kind of an entrepreneur guy, you know, one of these can't fail type people, he goes into this city where they can't build houses fast enough. <coughs> and he notices that the infrastructure of the city, if it's called Surprise Arizona, the, the infrastructure of the city couldn't keep up with the growth. So he came in and created a church to be the community center that has everything that they don't have in their city. They got Starbucks, they've got, in fact, the reporter says, when you walk in, you ask, where's the cineplex? Okay? This, there's nothing church about this. This is a community center, and because they don't have these things in their community because they grow so fast, it's in the church. And So the church is the hub of the whole city. But it says that it's very easy to become a Christian in this. This is what the reporter says. It's very easy. There's never a barrier. Anybody can come in, however they're dressed, whatever they are, whatever they believe, it doesn't matter. Come on in. And it says it's even easy to become a Christian. All you have to do is check the back of a little card. (laughs) I want to be a Christian. There. Boom. No repentance. No blood atonement. Okay, now, I said all that. Very interesting. Uh, if, If you email me, I'll send you the link. You can read that by yourself. I thought it was one of the better descriptions of what a secret church looks like that I've read. Now, why am I saying this? Because getting together with people in the community who aren't redeemed and listening to entertaining music is not worship. Because what does it say here? Through Him we offer up a sacrifice of praise. So if there's no blood atonement, there's no acceptable praise. And, and they were even talking about this reporter just had it nailed. How come the world has more discernment than the church? He says even the songs there... Or made Jesus sound like your latest prom date. And I gave words to some song that they were singing that was like Jesus is my buddy. You know, uh, <clears throat> not the exalted resurrected Savior, but He's my buddy and I like Him. That's what it said in an article. That's not worship because if the blood of Jesus has not washed away our sins, we have no high priest and we have no way to offer any acceptable offerings. Because an acceptable offering has to go through the high priest that God accepts. And that's Christ. And so if, our, if the blood washes away our sins, we come and praise Him, that's acceptable to God, and it brings honor and glory to His name, and it's a blessing to us as a community to be able to bring these sacrifices. But you take away the blood atonement, you just took away worship. It's gone. It is no more. it's just having fun together with people in the community that like to listen to the same style of music, yes, even in hold on, I <laughs> gotta sneak here. Yeah, you thought you'd sneak one in here,
1: even um where it such give thanks to his name. I've been studying this He's talking to people about the gospel and not people knowing what the true gospel is and in Hebrew is where it says, giving thanks, literally it means confessing. So confessing to his name. And in the Jewish, his culture, name was not just a name. It was who you were, what you did. And Jesus was God, is God. But, you know, like you say, the virgin birth, he came, he died first, and the whole gospel. That's sucked. confessing. So if you're not confessing what he did, who he is.
0: You've been studying ahead. I, I <laughs> See what happens when you study ahead. You, you nailed it. That's exactly what's what it, it says. It's not
1: just singing some fun songs, some feel-good, fun songs. No, it's, it's confessing. Confessing who and what he did. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and everybody's free to study ahead. Thank you, Denise. Good job. Yeah. Absolutely, you nailed it. It does say confessing. I got that, I got that in my notes as well. It says here, giving thanks to his name, literally in the Greek, it says homologing, homolog, homologia uh, means to say the same thing, uh, and, it, and it's the word confess, and it's homologium to uh, uh, anomati, ano, that's what it is, the name. Confessing the name. Now, confessing, as she said, Denise had it absolutely right, confessing the name is to uh, verbally express the truth about Christ and his unique person and what he's done, who he is and what he's done, and what our relationship to him is and on what basis. And so when we, um, if you notice, Jim Bukowski takes the music very, very seriously. Jim Bukowski is in charge of the music here. And he listens to music, he looks through hymnals, he finds words, he, and what Jim is doing with the music here at Twin City Fellowship is finding music that does just this, confessing the name. And you'll notice that it'll, maybe some of these songs are new to us. I mean, we go through a broad range of of sources for music here. We're not stuck in one little vein. We're looking for the best music that confesses the name. And so... Uh, Some songs, like one we do from Sovereign Grace Ministries, Before the Throne of God Above. If you listen to the words of that, it's confessing the person of Christ. It's confessing a sure and certain hope. It's confessing who He is, what He did, why we need Him. And we're confessing the name through Him, the high priest. (coughs) Excuse me. And that's a sacrifice of praise. Now, there's an allusion here to Psalm 50 and verse 14. Robert, why don't you look that up? Psalm 50 and verse 14.
2: Psalm 50, verse 14. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving
0: and pay your vows to the Most High. Okay. Okay. That's the background for this passage. That's where the phrase right out of the Septuagint keeps, uh, Psalm 50. Thank you. Psalm 50 and verse 14. Now in the Septuagint, they have different numbering system, but, um, I was going to read a couple quotes here. Here, here's, uh, something from Lane. Um, true worship consists in pr- the praise of God, verse 15, and a shared life of love, verse 16. Addressing Hellenistic Jewish Christians who seem to have been vulnerable to reports of the lavish cultic expressions of worship in Jerusalem and were feeling impoverished by the relative simplicity of the worship in the New Covenant community, and especially by the loss of the sacred fellowship meal, the writer responds from a theology of praise. He invests their whole existence, renewed by grace, with the value of authentic devotion to God. That's the fancy way of seeing what I said earlier. But, um, they lost, they thought about it like they lost something. Because they had the, the feasts and these visible expressions, uh, that happened in these ceremonies under the old covenant. And here are just a few Christians gathered in a home. They don't have a glorious temple. They don't have all uh, the prescribed feasts. They don't have all the pomp and circumstance. But, what this is seeing is that because we have Christ and because we have one another, we are bringing an acceptable sacrifice to God that's more profound than all these other religious traditions. Yes. Oh, yes, thank you. Somebody actually volunteered. Good for you, Nicole. Well,
2: I've been told I have kind of a soft anyway. Yes, I was
0: just do. thinking
1: when you were
2: talking, coming out of the Roman Catholic Church when I got saved... And started visiting uh, Christian churches it was hard at first not having all the religiosity even though I was saved in the Lord I was finding my comfort and my strength and in, in the fellowship of other believers took over in the Holy Spirit but at first it was hard to come into churches and not have candles and incense and All this religiosity, there was something about that. that Magnificent
0: structures and stained glass windows and statues and, well see, um, that's a good point you make, Nicole. That's the reason the Catholic Church has all that stuff. There's an innate, uh, thing in fallen man that wants that. It makes people feel close to God. It doesn't make them close to God. It just makes them feel close to God.
2: Well, I also think it's a big reason why people are going into contemplative prayer and all the all that religiosity that we're hearing more and more about is making the church more apostate because people are are wanting to like the Roman Catholic Church basically hijacked Judaism and tried to Christianize it, even though it's a pseudo form of Christianity. You know, it's
0: well, the emergent church is doing the same thing. They're creating this vis-tangible, what do they say? We're going to worship God with five physical senses. Now, I think the antidote to this whole thing is the book, understanding the book of Hebrews. Honestly, this has been so timely that we're going through Hebrews during the last three or four years as we've been starting to debate the emergent church and contemplative prayer and all the stuff that we're doing. It's, it's so timely because here is our answer. In the first century, all a Christian had to do was to gather in homes with other Christians. That's all they had. They, they took joyfully the spoiling of their property, it said. They were hated. They were persecuted. They were they were driven from society. But they had themselves and they had the Lord. And according to this, we have a greater worship. We have a greater promise. We have greater opportunity. Oops, sorry. Anyhow, uh absolutely. So that's what he was saying. This seems like a very simple thing that we do. But you just have to see the profundity of it, in the depth of the theology and the work of grace that God's doing. That's what makes it so great, and uh, not magnificent structure. So now we're out trying to see how, uh, how to recreate kind of what Rome did. There's a reason for it. It works. People love it, but it doesn't have any power to get anybody delivered from sin. Here, more uh, from this commentary. Um, in verse 15, through him connotes sim- simply and succinctly that the whole continuous liturgy of the Old Covenant is fulfilled in the continual praise offering of Christians. So, isn't that an amazing thing? Now, if you read... Exodus and Leviticus, you had, that was a lot of work to have all that they did, right? Very, very complex. Very, very complex system. Here it's saying that simply us praising God, we fulfilled the whole, that whole elaborate thing. Only we can, why? Remember that sermon I preached about separation? About what's true and false separation? This is part of the reason, in my opinion. Because if you need the elaborate mechanism, it creates separation. Because only certain places and times can you create it. You have to have the money to make a cathedral. You have to have this infrastructure. You have to have this big system, and it's harder to get into. Whereas God designed Christianity so that it doesn't need even a building. It doesn't need ornaments. It doesn't need artifacts. It doesn't need anything but the message of the word of God. And so, therefore, Christianity can spread anywhere in the world because all you need is people to gather together. And then by gathering together with other Christians and praising God, you're fulfilling everything he asks you to do as far as the thank offerings. You don't have to have this big elaborate religious system concocted to make it work. So that's that's part of why. So the gospel will spread. It will spread quickly and easily and not have artificial barriers that are put up by cultural things. And so we should not be putting up barriers uh, that God doesn't want up. Okay, so a continuing offering of praise must have an enduring occasion. (laughs) Under the old covenant, the occasion was the goodness and grace of God demonstrated in His faithfulness to the covenant. In in verse 9, he speaks of the heart strengthened by grace. In verse 12, he refers to consecration of the people to the service of God. In verse 14, he grounds Christian hope in the promised city of God. The continual offering of praise to God through Jesus is motivated through the experience of his grace and goodness and is supported by the unchangeableness of his promise. Amen, amen. So, we have unchangeable promises. We have a high priest. We have reason to be thankful. And what a wonderful thing that we can just thankfully serve God as his people in utter simplicity. Isn't that wonderful? We don't need to create some sort of a, a magnificent infrastructure. Now it says, let us continually offer up. So th- this is an offering. It's using the terms of Sacrifice out of the Old Testament. And we have this altar. Remember verse 10, this whole section started, we have an altar. Now it turned out it's not a physical altar. It's it's a figurative altar outside the camp where we meet Christ. Right? There's no prescribed furniture for churches. Did you know that? Sometimes we have a communion table. Some people might call it an altar. No, that's not the altar. Did you know that? There's no altar in the New Covenant. There's no holy objects in the New Covenant other than the Bible. And it's holy not because of the Morocco and the gold leaf. It's holy because of the words printed therein. And we have holy communion because of what Christ has done once for all. But there's no holy objects. You cannot go to a store and buy something that's holy. All right, just, I'm just letting that sink in. All right. <laughs> I think
2: one of the distinctions uh, you need to make in a church building is where the sanctuary is and where the worship center is, because really, the sanctuary is in the believer to illustrate the truth that's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. And the worship center is where the people of God meet to worship God.
0: Yeah, we use we use the term sanctuary just because of um, usage determines meaning. But it doesn't imply that that's the real sanctuary. It's just a place where you gather. Somebody, another one, oh man, do I get the emails from people that, I'm getting more people mad at me from the right than from the left now. <laughs> it's not the King James only, Did somebody else. Somebody else said that it was a sin to have church buildings. And his reasoning was, God dwells in houses not made with hands. And so the person recommended I read these books about the house church movement. So I emailed back. I says, so the house that you're meeting in wasn't made with hands? (laughs) You know, what I I said was, um, Chris, you can meet anywhere. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's a sin to build a building to come to, gather together to, to worship God. It's not a sin to have a building, but it would be a sin if you claimed the building was some holy place that just going there would make you closer to God. But Christians can meet anywhere. You can meet in a forest. You can meet in a desert. That's what it feels like we're doing today. You can you can meet in a pasture. You can meet in a house. You can meet in a barn. You can meet in a church building. You can meet in a community center. You can meet in a gym. The Bible is wide open. Now why? Why is it wide open? So the gospel will spread. So I sent back to this guy. And I said, told him what I just said. I never heard any more back, but it isn't prescribed. So, yes, you're free to meet in home, but you can't say that every Christian who goes into a building you know, that, that they built for the purpose of gathering together is sitting because they're not in the kind of building you're in. You can't say that. So, I seem like I'm fighting these people every week. I think part of what's going on is because there's so much apostasy, people are looking for a cause, and they want a simple cause. This one guy would say, nope, the cause of all the apostasy is that we're using manuscripts that came from Alexandria rather than Byzantine. What? What kind of logic is that? Uh, The emergent church doesn't use any Bible, so what does it matter where the manuscript came from? (laughs) (coughs) Okay, go ahead, Nicole.
2: I just want to mention in my uh, my many adventures of trying to find a good church, I had visited a church once where they uh, built a new worship area, and uh, they wanted to make it like a multi-purpose room, and so they had some tape, different colored tape on the floor, because after church was over, later in the day, if the youth wanted to play volleyball or something, they could play volleyball indoors or something, and someone was really upset and complained about it to the pastor. But the pastor made a really good point and said, the person said, you know, why are people playing volleyball in the temple? And the pastor said, Boy. it's the other way around, actually. The temple is playing volleyball. <laughs> <laughs>
3: the
0: temple, the body of Christ, played volleyball in a building. <laughs> well, the, the, the real important thing, by the way, is that we're getting from this. I hope we understand. Don't miss the main point. The main point is that we can worship in spirit and truth. We can offer an offering to God that he accepts because of the blood atonement. Because of Jesus, the high priest, in him we make the offering. And because it's in him and he's in heaven, it means it can be done anywhere. In a building that we call church, which isn't again, it's just usage determines meaning. Uh, The word church in the New Testament doesn't mean a building. We understand that. We call it that because of usage, yes. You've mentioned all these emails for the last several months that
1: you get from people that are angry. Uh, Please consider that an encouragement because the more that you spread the word, the more that you get
0: out into the world, the more that you're touching people. And uh, getting a good response or a negative response proves that... You're getting out. Somebody's listening. Yeah. yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm not upset about it. I, actually, I, getting these emails helps me fine tune my thinking. And it also helps me know what articles to write. Yes. Pastor,
3: you're talking about, uh, <laughs> Yeah, he doesn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't give no that, insurance. don't give
0: that to him. <laughs> and I visited one of my atheist
3: friends, Friday, with Lithuania, And he knows I told in the gospel, the shed blood, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, uh, what? Uh, Satan up to these days on the internet. So he took me up there on the internet and I heard the new Anton LaVey, the high priest of Satan, is dead, but the new one was preaching on uh, the early fathers via Deus. So that's fine. And then uh, giving a little sermons that, like like Apostle Paul said in Martios, there's a tangent of truth in each of it. But the thing that amazed me is how they would recommend. Now you can go to hell through Satan and you can go to hell through the liberal church. He's got a real beautiful for it. Oh, he'll list all the different churches. Now think about that. He says, now think how open-minded we are at the Church of Satan. Why wouldn't the Church of Satan be open-minded and recommend the Unitarian or any liberal church or these churches where they go to church and go to hell? They're both in it together because they won't preach the shed blood. There isn't Christ, the one true gospel. The atheist. if you want to hear the gospel, Send people to the atheists. They'll tell you what the gospel is because they don't believe it. 99% of people that sit in church don't know the gospel. And Satan loves these supposed churches. But he hates the gospel and the temple of God within us. So he's hand in hand with them and he's giving them a field day. If they go out and lie, they'll fill their churches. That God brings in, like Apostle Paul said, I plant Apollos waters. It isn't who plants your waters. It's God that produces. God says, I can take a heart of stone and make it a heart of flesh. He doesn't need a song and dance act. Satan's <laughs> got a song and dance act in the liberal churches, and he's got a song and dance act in the church of hell. And people love it. And that's why the high ACDC said the highway to hell is broad and wide. The highway to hell and narrow. Yes, we are narrow-minded because there's one way to the Father through Jesus Christ, our risen God who shed his blood for us, and we should be able to tell the whole truth so hope he God.
0: And Tell this dead world about Jesus Christ, amen okay, Dan. Thank you, Dan um yeah, I'm glad you're back, Dan. That's pretty good for all this heat <laughs> yeah, you know, Dan, you make a good point. uh Norm uh was talking to me this morning about some stuff he heard in a white horse inn. here so, here. do you want to run it over, Dan? My cord roll through that part. Just tell a little story you told me this morning about what, what you heard on the White Horse Inn. Uh, well on the White Horse Inn they're going through a series called the, uh, Romans Revolution and, uh, so they had sent, uh, one of their people to, uh, a couple different, uh, conferences. One was the, uh, National Christian Booksellers Convention and the other was, uh, uh, National Evangelical Pastors Conference. And they were asking these pastors and their wives, uh, basic questions like, uh, Know, what is justification? Or what is imputation? And these people, for the most part, a lot of them didn't have a clue what they were even talking about.
3: You know, the one they said, uh, What is imputation? The guy said, I've never heard of it. You mean amputation? You know, <laughs> they, 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 and, and these are the people that are
0: out preaching and teaching their people. Right. So the story is the pastors don't even know the doctrines of the Bible. But like Dan said, the atheists do. They go to great lengths to refute them. And, if you go, and I've debated with atheists. They know Christian doctrine. So, the, the Christian pastors don't know Christian doctrine, but the atheists do. This is a sad story. Yes. Oh, about, here. Yeah, I talked to a guy in the street about a month and a half ago. They, three atheist guys. And we get talking to him, And the one guy rattled off the entire gospel at me. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's like yeah, I believe that exactly, you know. But they know it; they just yeah. don't believe it. Yeah. So the Christians claim to believe it, but they don't know it. That's right. That's strange. Um. um here's something Lane says that uh, the writer has drawn upon a biblical and Jewish tradition of the song of praise that is offered to God response to his grace. And then he gives all kinds of Old Testament background uh, from the intertestamental material. Here's, here is a Jewish writing. It's not in scripture, but a Jewish writing that they used. For who, O God, is strong except the one who praises you in truth? And what person is powerful except the one who acknowledges your name? A new psalm was sung from a happy heart, the fruit of lips from well-tuned instrument of the tongue, the fruit of lips from a devout and righteous heart That's the psalms of solomon which is a pseudepigrapha but it uh, shows the jewish idea that this praising god's name was important and what they had under the old covenant was valid when they were under the old covenant it was i'm not disparaging that up until christ came they did the exact, that's what they should do they should go on a day of atonement and offered a sacrifice. They should go to the pilgrim feast and all, and be faithful. I'm going to preach this morning from Luke 2, how it was, uh, Mary and Joseph were exemplary in their faithfulness to do what they should do under the old covenant. But the issue is, now that Christ came, we're in the new covenant. Amen. And we still have the fruit of the lips, the praise, but it's not tied to the sacrificial system of the temple anymore. It's, it's released from there in order that it might spread all around the world. And plus, Christ died for sins once for all. And so he has done it for us. Um, he says this. The formulation of verse fifteen belongs to a Christian tradition of praise and response to the goodness of God, as in the older biblical material, praise is the response of the covenant people to the revelation of the grace of God, and is at the same time the decisive condition for the sustaining of covenant faithfulness. So Christians who have if you are truly born of God, and you have the earnest of the Holy Spirit in this earthen vessel, and you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you will want to praise God.
3: Amen.
0: It, it, it's been true since the first century. It's always true. And when people are not given that opportunity, they get very frustrated. Because that's why, why I, uh, so many frustrated people are calling from all around the country and saying, I can't find a church. Because they're not given an opportunity to praise God. They've only been given the opportunity to come to a religious service it's entertaining. And and if you have the Holy Spirit, you will be frustrated unless you can praise the Lord. Amen. Right? So I love to praise the Lord. If my voice held up better, I'd do more of it. i have to do it quietly. Well, let's do some cross-references. Robert, uh, you did one already. Uh, Dave, right? Could you do... Uh, you find this, and then Robert will hand you the mic. 2 Chronicles 7-6. Denise, Nehemiah... Twelve forty three, Linda. Psalm eighteen forty nine, Joanne. Psalm fifty twenty three, Dick. Psalm one hundred seven twenty one and twenty two, Cap. Isaiah twelve one and two, Carl. Ephesians five nineteen and twenty. I'm on a roll with names, huh? <laughs> Nicole. I made it all the way. Revelation seven nine through twelve. <laughs> Yeah, if if people, yeah, you're trying to throw me for a loop. You sat over here. Uh, 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 6. Uh, And the priests attended to their services. The Levites also with instruments of the music of the Lord,
1: which
3: King David had made to praise the Lord, saying, For his mercy endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry,
0: the priests sounded trumpets uh, opposite them while all Israel stood. Okay, that's it. So all Israel stood. They had all these instruments that David made. They had trumpets. They had different instruments. And they uttered praise to God. Which instruments are we allowed to praise God with? Any instrument. Yeah, any instrument is okay to praise God with. It's not sanctified by what kind of instrument it is. It's sanctified by who's playing it and what they're singing. Okay? Um, What? (laughs) Okay, um, Nehemiah 12 and verse 43.
1: Also that... Day, they offer great sacrifices and rejoice for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off.
0: okay, so they had so much joy. this was at the rebuilding of the temple
1: and then did you assign isaiah fifty seven nineteen
0: No, go ahead and read it.
1: I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord. It's his work.
0: Amen. God does it. Thank you. Very good. Okay, Psalm 1849.
1: Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name.
0: We used to sing that. (laughs) Maybe we still do. Okay, Um, Psalm one hundred. What is it? No, 5023. He
1: who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me, and to him who orders his way aright, I shall show the salvation of God.
0: That's an interesting uh, two passages, I mean two ideas. He offers a sacrifice of praise and orders his way aright. Now notice the order here in Hebrews 13. Offer a sacrifice of praise, verse 15. Do not neglect doing good, verse 16. Same sequence as you find in Psalm 50, all right? Okay, then we had Psalm 107, 21, 22.
3: Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders to the sons of men. Let them also offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his wondrous works with
0: joyful singing. Okay, so tell of his wondrous works. If you read the Psalms, you get an idea of what praising God looks like. Okay, and then we had Isaiah 12, 1 and 2. Yep.
1: And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you are angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For, yeah, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation.
0: Good. The car? Uh, Ephesians five nineteen and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all the things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and to be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, that's what a Christian um, assembly is all about. Yes, yeah, so then we had Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Uh, we sing this too at times.
2: After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they... And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
0: There's at least two songs in there that we sing. But won't it won't be better when we actually sing it in heaven. They maybe have a different melody, I don't know. But anyhow, beautiful music uh, that we have to sing to those very words. Um, salvation belongs to our God. So we have songs of salvation being sung in heaven. So, uh, I guess we will begin next week then. Um, we already mentioned this homologene uh, confess the name. So this giving um, giving thanks and praise to God is a confession of the name, and the name is more than just Jesus, but it's the whole person Amen. and character and nature. The name signifies the entire truth about the doctrine of Christ. And so when we confess the name, we speak forth with our lips the true doctrine of Christ, who he is, what he did, and all the multifaceted aspects of his person.
2: I just wanted to say something really quick when, when you were talking about confessing the name. It was making me think. um I've had the privilege of visiting Israel three times and we visited Caesarea Philippi where they did all this pagan worship and you could see carved into the sides of the cliff where the, their statues were of Pan and all these different gods. Yeah. And that's where Jesus had took his disciples off to the side and that's where Peter confessed yes. you are the son of God. And Jesus is response to him was i give you the keys to heaven you know and it was just making me think when you were saying confessing the name is an agreement with god's word of who his son is and that's praise and we have to live that out every day
0: yes absolutely said so that's a good point i was reading about that to accessory at philippi was where peter confessed the name thou art the christ the son of the living god blessed are thou thou simon bar jonah For flesh and blood did not reveal this unto thee, but my Father was out in heaven. To truly confess the name of Christ, it has to be revealed internally by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't just mean utter the words. To confess the name is something that's done through a work of grace in the heart. And that's what Jesus said to Peter. He didn't just come upon a right opinion, but it was revealed to him by God. Okay.